Six races are in the books as we head into round number seven on June 18th at the Circuit de Paul Ricard. This is our news and notes podcast here on the Overtake F1 podcast. I'm Tony Desiri. Thanks for joining us. We'll go over some of the news that is making the rounds in Formula One. Plus, we'll do the who's hot and who's not after the Azerbaijan Grand Prix at Baku. Once again, a reminder, subscribe to the channel, leave us a review. Also, if you would like to email the show for any reason, you can do that at the Overtake F1 podcast at gmail.com. You can also hit me up on Twitter at Tony D Radio. All right, before we get to some of the news making the rounds in Formula One, let's go over the standings. No change at the top. Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton both going without points at Azerbaijan. So Verstappen leading Lewis Hamilton by four points. Sergio Perez, after his victory in Baku, moves up to third, 69 points so far on the season. Lando Norris, fourth. He's the only driver to score points in all six races this season. He is three back of Sergio Perez. Charles Leclerc, fifth for Ferrari, followed by Valtteri Bottas, who's gone back-to-back weekends without any points. Carlos Sainz sitting in seventh. Pierre Gasly, a podium finish for him. He is eighth after finishing third. Sebastian Vettel is ninth after a P2 finish in the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Daniel Ricciardo rounds out your top ten. All right, let's start this with news from Mercedes. They have now had bad weekends for the second straight race, given that Hamilton did not lose any points in the championship battle, but he didn't gain any either, and it was in tremendous position to do so until the magic button was turned on and he went off the track in turn one at the restart. Toto Wolff very angry after the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, and rightfully so. Monaco is a one-off track. Stuff happens there. And even if you have a good car, you can still find that weekend extremely frustrating. Baku is where the Silverados should have shown up, and they did not. Hamilton did find pace in the car Saturday during qualifying and started P2. Botas, he never found pace. He was never a factor in the Grand Prix. Finished P12. And you can tell in Friday's practice sessions that Mercedes would struggle, so it was a surprise that Hamilton did really well Saturday in qualifying. Mercedes had a point streak that went back to the 2018 British Grand Prix, and with Sergio Perez winning for Red Bull, they find themselves 26 points back in the constructors' standings. In Monaco, they left with six points after a P7 for Hamilton and a DNF for Botas, who had tire issues in the pits. Remember that when he pulled in and they couldn't get the tire off? It's been interesting, though, for me to see how very good dominant teams react to have somebody challenge their dominance and give them a fight. Now, you see this in all sorts of sports, right, especially in individual sports. I think Tiger Woods, for example, loved dominating the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach back in 2000. But I also think he loved having Bob May battle with them at Valhalla in Louisville for the PGA title that same year. Second, I think we've seen all types of individuals and all sort of team sports handle adversity in different ways. Some have gone very public. Some have been more internal. And Mercedes is choosing to go more public. It seems like every race that they have that is not up to their level of standards, they're very quick to go to the media and say exactly what's going on. Now, as a journalist, I love that. I want that sort of insight into the team. On the other hand, it's not that becoming of champions to be that vocal about the things that are wrong and who's to blame and sort of putting on some shade as to where the blame lies and maybe somebody's doing something that should be illegal. It's just not becoming of a champion. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the openness and I love the fact that they are not so private with their internal beefs. You know, they may say things like, oh, this is going to be done behind closed doors. But let's be honest, over the last couple of races, they've been very vocal and very public about some of the things that have gone wrong. 
You can look at things like Lewis Hamilton opening the door on the flexi wing issue at Barcelona to Toto Wolff publicly calling out the team after another bad weekend. The last few races have been great for talking points and some commentary for guys like me. But in reality, it, it kind of looks weak. Now, of course you expect the best from your team. Hamilton is a seven-time champion. They've won the constructors for the past seven years. 2021 has not been an easy path so far. It started in February. There were reports that Mercedes were having trouble with the power unit. Nobody really thought it was going to be a big problem. They sort of expect them to figure it out as the season would progress. Wolf then, with the flexi-wing issue, threatened to take the issue to court, saying this could get messy. It feels like news coming out of Mercedes right now is talk, talk, talk about how awful things are. You're the champions. You're the champions. One more thing, and I think we all know this, that Valtteri Bottas is done at the end of this season. He, he hasn't shown a fight in the car at all this season. Mercedes needs him to have a fight in the car. The bad race at Imola where George Russell was going to pass him. I mean, look, that crash wasn't necessarily his fault, but he was being passed by a Williams at the time. I mean, you go to the team orders issue in Barcelona. Then you had Total Wolf, like, publicly blaming him for the wheel nut issue at Monaco, saying that he stopped too early. So yeah, this will be the worst kept secret in Formula One. Now, don't get me wrong. I think a lot of websites, I think a lot of news organizations are using the Botas stuff as clickbait because I think it makes for interesting talking points. So I'm not diving into that too much right now, but I do think in the end, Botas will no longer be in the seat come next season. The cancellation of the Singapore Grand Prix was not too big of a surprise, given that every country around the globe is dealing with the global pandemic in different ways. I love the night race there. It's a challenging circuit. I was really bummed out when it was canceled, but we've seen changes already this season to this ever fluid schedule for Formula One. The season opener was supposed to be in Australia. That got moved to the end of the season. The season opener then became Bahrain. The Canadian Grand Prix was canceled. It was replaced by Turkey. Then Turkey got canceled. That's been replaced by an additional race in Austria. So where does Formula One go to keep their desire for a 23 race schedule, especially in the fall? One option that has been brought up is another race in the United States. There's been a report that the F1 series could run back-to-back races in Austin this fall at the Circuit of the Americas. Talks about this possibility were brief. It actually caught Austin officials by surprise, but they say that they can pull this off if needed. However, there is one option on the table that's kind of getting a little bit of news, even though there's not much behind it, but it's sort of gaining momentum. And that's have another race in the United States, but at Indianapolis. Now, Indy, no stranger to Formula One. It hosted Grand Prix from 2000 to 2007. Probably the most famous Grand Prix that Indianapolis has ever held was the 2005 U.S. Grand Prix. There was a disaster of major proportions. There was a tire problem, and only a handful of cars started the race, six to be exact. Boos were rained down. Items were thrown onto the track. It's one of the most famous fiascos in all of motorsports. However, Roger Penske now owns the racetrack and wants Formula One back. And if one thing you know about Roger Penske, he's an outstanding promoter. The Grand Prix track at the Brickyard is compliant with the demands of the FIA to be hosting a race. Long term for races in the United States could have Indianapolis back in the picture as well. This is the last year on the current contract for Austin, and they need taxpayer support to be hosting more races down the line. Miami is already on the calendar for 2022 and beyond, but there could be an opportunity for Austin and Indianapolis to swap out races every other year. Liberty Media definitely wants to grow the sport in the United States. Look, they know that three races in the country won't work, so you can't have one in Austin and Indy 
and Miami. Two, that works, but three does not. Formula One is global. That's one of its appeals. But Indianapolis is the mecca of motorsports. I think Liberty should find a way to get Indy on the calendar in some way, shape, or form. I like it this year as a replacement. I don't think back-to-back weekends in Austin really work. I'm tired of back-to-back weekends anyway. Look, I understand the logistics of it, and I understand the pandemic has everybody kind of thrown for a loop. So I'm not mad about it, and I'm not upset about it. But if you can try to get your sport into another location, like we've seen in Europe, where they ran at Mugello last year, they ran at Imola, they ran at Portimao. Those two racetracks have been back on the schedule for 2021. I mean, Austria getting two races. Okay, fine. Again, I understand logistics of it. But if you're going to grow the sport in the United States and that's your main goal, go to Indianapolis. It's, again, the mecca of motorsports. And I think Liberty should find a way to get Indy on the F1 calendar in some way, shape, or form. Whether it replaces Austin if they can't get a new deal done, if the contract cannot be worked out, or alternating every year, I think this is good for Formula One in the United States. All right, big news out of Williams. Changes are afoot as Simon Roberts is out as team principal and as the team reorganizes itself. CEO Yas Capito will take over that role. The team is streamlining everything at the request of Dorlington Capital, who bought the team from the Williams family last season. They feel like these changes will help the team eventually get back to the front of the grid. Roberts joined the team last June, took over as team principal in September. He was promoted to that position in December and now has parted ways on good terms as part Part of the team's restructuring. Williams has finished last in the constructors over the past three seasons. However, they're the second most successful team in Formula One history. So this change is not really surprising. Something had to be done. The key for Capito is getting every department communicating better. According to a brilliant article on this issue by Lawrence Barreto on FormulaOne.com, both trackside engineering and factory engineering were not aligned and reporting to different channels. Barreto's article goes into tremendous detail, and I highly recommend it if you're into this sort of behind-the-scenes look at how Formula One teams operate. Barreto's article on this goes into tremendous detail on how that dysfunction created an environment where departments within Williams were protecting themselves and then they were not working together to develop the car. They will have a new person as their head of race engineering before the French Grand Prix. They'll also be hiring a future sporting director. Of course, this is going to be a long-term project to work within the budget cap and also create a team that will be competitive and attractive down the line to top drivers. George Russell is in the final year of his contract with them. He's made it no secret. He wants to race for a competitive team. I mean, who can blame him? He means 23. He's a future star. His car is nowhere near a podium. Mercedes may have a seat available next season anyway. So they want to create a team that will be competitive and also not just be some sort of feeder team for young drivers coming in with some money. They want to be competitive back to the glory days of Williams. But this is the step in the right direction for Derilliton Capital to be able to do just that. I bring this story up for a couple of reasons. One, it made major news. Simon Roberts stepping down. He's been in Formula One for a while, and he was brought in to handle the transition from the Williams family to the new investment company that came in to buy the team. And also because, and maybe you're one of them, there are people who like the inner workings of how Formula One teams operate. Uh, Some people just like the races and they just like the points and that's all they care about. But there are others who are really invested in how teams are run, how what's going on behind the scenes within an organization. You see this all the time in other sports. I've covered the NFL for almost 30 years and, and there are fans who love Sundays and they don't really care what goes on Monday through Saturday. And there are fans who love what's going on within their team. They want to know more about the cap. They want to know how it works. They want to know about all the inner structures that are going on within an organization. So this is one of those 
those times where if you really are interested in how a Formula One team operates, again, I recommend Lawrence Barreto's article at FormulaOne.com. It was really in-depth, and it was really kind of interesting to see how Williams is taking this kind of approach. And the other reason is simply Williams is one of the iconic Formula One teams. They have been around a really long time. They have won so many championships. So much of the success of Formula One had to do with what Frank Williams did. And they've become kind of a joke, and that's too bad. They're a backmarker team. They never are going to be competitive. There are people like me who cheer for them just for George Russell to get a point in any particular race when an opportunity presents itself. This is not the Williams that I knew back when I started watching Formula One. It's certainly not the Williams a lot of you recognize. If you're new to the sport, it probably didn't take you long to realize that this was one of the more iconic brands in all of Formula One that has really hit hard times. So to see this restructuring, to see this team taking the small steps and then later big steps and then later even bigger steps to try to get back to the front of the grid it's refreshing. It may just take a while, but it is at least refreshing. All right. I have made an executive decision on this podcast early. When I started this, I did a top five and bottom five. And then I started to realize I didn't really like putting that together because the bottom five was always the backmarker teams and drivers, right? I was doing the Nikita Mazepins and the Nicholas Latifis and even George Russell. And that's how I was filling the bottom five. And I don't really want to do that. It's not necessarily fair to the drivers because they're not on good teams. And the front tended to be more of the successful teams that were running near the top of the championship. So I sort of switched it up a little bit and going forward, we're just going to do a simple who's hot, who's not. I know original, right? But that's where we're going to be going with this segment. So we're going to start with who's hot and we're going to go from five to number one and number five on the list is Pierre Gasly. Great podium finish for him. Third of his career and the first since Monza last season. He had a pace in this race that was near Max Verstappen. He also passed Charles Leclerc at the restart. You add that to a P6 that he had at Monaco. He finished ahead of Lewis Hamilton. Remember, that was one of the sticking points in that race where Hamilton uh, was really upset that Gasly stayed ahead of him. This has been a good two races for the Frenchman. Number four, it's Lando Norris. No other driver than Lando Norris has scored points in all six races this season. He had a P5 at Baku. Remember, he had to take a three-place grid penalty for running throwing a red flag. He had a P3 podium finish at Monaco. These are great results. This is the most consistent driver so far this season. Number four is Lando Norris. Number three, who's hot? It's Max Verstappen. Now, he should have won this race, and he should have won it going away. He drove brilliantly. He went fast enough when Hamilton pitted to take the lead and then keep it. Maybe it was debris. Maybe it was just a tire failure failure by Pirelli. But Max had a great run at Baku before he crashed out. He's not in the top, but he's definitely three. Who's hot heading out of Baku? Number two, Sebastian Vettel. I have been waiting for this for such a long time for Seb to show up this season. Had so many problems at the beginning of the year. You He had a top five finish at Monaco. This was a popular podium P2 finish at Baku. The season is really starting to turn around for the four-time champion with his new team. I loved seeing it. I loved even more number one, and that is Sergio Perez. His second career victory, it was the one he could have gotten without attrition. If his pit stop was just a bit faster, he would have taken the lead of this race. He did a great job staying in front of Hamilton when Max was extending his lead. That's exactly what Red Bull wants out of the second seat. He also got to the front of the restart and stayed there. He had a P4 in Monaco. That was a great ride for him. Now looks like Red Bull has made the right choice with Checo number one on the who's hot coming out of Baku. Who's not? 
Number five, Daniel Ricardo. It's been a struggle for Danny Rick this season with McLaren. I hate to see it, but I also understand it. He went from Red Bull to Renault to McLaren all in a short period of time. These cars are tough to get used to. He didn't score any points at Monaco, which was his best circuit. He was a low-end P9 at Baku. He didn't move up a bit, but it wasn't a presence in that street circuit. I do think that he'll get the car down. He will be up there right now. It's a little hard to watch his struggles. Number four, who's not hot? It's Lewis Hamilton. It's back-to-back bad weekends for Hamilton. A disappointing P7 at Monaco. One off the starting spot to the race. Then, of course, the magic button issue. That results in a P15. He did find pace on the car Saturday. It didn't look like it had much on Friday. However, he deserves to be here. This may be the last time he's mentioned in this group. He may win at France, for all I know. But today, he is in the not-hot category. Number three, Lance Stroll. He also had a tire failure at Baku. He did not finish. Now, again, I don't know if it's debris. I don't know if it's the old tire just falling apart. However, he was staying near the front. He had to start at the back of the field after crashing and qualifying. He started at the back of the field, was running hard tires, was up at the front, staying there as long as he could, hoping for a safety car. But it's another no-point result for Stroll, just like in Spain and just like in Portugal. It has not been working this year so far for Lance Stroll. Number two on the list is Nikita Mazepin. Now, I said at the beginning of this segment i'm kind of dumping top five bottom five because i don't want to bring up the same back-end drivers all the time however i'm going to bring up nikita mazepin because the guy almost crashed into mick schumacher near the end of that race schumacher's going for the right side pass and mazepin just goes boop over to the right side i mean my goodness gracious there's something going on with this guy every single race I will spare you the Mick Schumacher, George Russell, Nicholas Latifi at the bottom end of this, but when Nikita Mazepin does something stupid, I'm going to put him in this list. But the number one not hot driver going out of Baku is Valtteri Bottas. He had no points in Monaco, probably not his fault with the tire issue, but maybe he did stop early. I have no idea. Either way, he got no points there. He got no pace and no points at Baku. The Silver Arrows can can survive a mistake by Lewis Hamilton. He doesn't make very many. But when he does, you expect a good result from Botas to sort of keep the ship afloat and learn from that and move on. But when Botas is not providing points and you have a struggle from Lewis Hamilton, this is where disaster is going to be for Mercedes. His result in Baku was unacceptable. There was pace in the car. He couldn't find it. He, especially on the restart, he lost spots on the restart of that race, the two-lap sprint. And when you couple that with Red Bull getting the kind of results they're getting out of Sergio Perez in that number two seat, this is going to be a struggle for Mercedes if Botas doesn't pick it up and start being a Mercedes driver again. Because they're going to need him. They're already looking up at Red Bull. This could be a fight all season long. They need both Mercedes drivers to do well in races. And Hamilton, again, who doesn't make a lot of mistakes, when he does, Botas needs to be there. He's not, and that's why he's not hot coming out of Baku and six races on the calendar. All right, so that's our news and notes edition of the Overtake F1 podcast. Remember to subscribe, leave us a review. If you'd like to contact the show, have any questions that you'd like answered on the show, we certainly can do that. You can reach us at the Overtake F1 podcast at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on Twitter at Tony D Radio. Love to get your feedback on what we're doing here on this podcast. Hey, want to point out another podcast because, hey, listen, I don't mind sharing the love when, I, when it's well-deserved. Beyond the Grid, the official F1 podcast had Jeff Gordon on their episode. He talked about how close he came to joining Williams Racing in Formula One. Really good interview. 
Back when I was a young radio reporter in the early 90s, I got the motorsports beat at the New Hampshire International Speedway. I didn't know very much about it, so I had to sort of go at it cold. Jeff Gordon was one of my first interviews before he had won the Coca-Cola 600 in Charlotte in 1994, and I've always been impressed by his rise to superstardom. One of the things I've always said was Jeff Gordon was Tiger Woods before Tiger Woods was Tiger Woods. Jeff Gordon dominated NASCAR in a way that when Tiger Woods was dominating golf, those of us who had followed Gordon and saw his dominance in that sport, there was something relatable there. So it was really fascinating to hear his thoughts on being in a Formula One car, the sport in general that he loves and what his thoughts are on it. So again, Beyond the Grid podcast, uh, having Jeff Gordon on was uh, really a fascinating listen. All right. So later on this week, we will have a preview of the French Grand Prix at the Circuit de Paul Ricard, and then we'll follow that up the following week with a review of that race. Glad you could be with us. Thank you for joining us on this edition of the News and Notes podcast. This is the Overtake F1 podcast. I'm Tony Desiri, and enjoy the weekend. Yeah.